0: about teaching and learning and pivoting to digital for the whole TRU community. I'm your host, Brenna Clark-Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning Technology and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Tukumloops Te Swetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Sweetmaculu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And today, well, I've been thinking about a lot of things, but this is my third run at this opening monologue so far today. And I don't mean my third, like, edit. I mean, like, my third entire topic. (laughs) So now I'm thinking about revisions. (laughs) Let's get into it. I am notoriously terrible at revision terrible at it. I I don't know why. I can tell you all the things that I know intellectually about why revision is critical to the writing process, why nobody does anything their best on the first try, why we all need opportunities to revise. And then there's the affective experience of getting notes. (laughs) I'm not terrible at taking feedback on board, but I do definitely have this affective reaction to the idea of opening a set of revisions. Like I work it way up in my head. So I'll get the email saying, hey, like, thanks so much. Here are some revisions. And I'll just not open the email for like a day because clearly the contents of that email is about how much I suck, right? And obviously what they're actually going to say when I open up the draft is going to be like embedded in the track changes. is like, Dear Brenna, you are a terrible person and no one wants to listen to what you have to say sincerely, reviewer two. I have actually gotten that. No, I have. <laughs> but, you know, that is what it feels like in my head before I open the document. I'm so bad at revision that my first few years of teaching, I, rather than tweaking my courses, I would just reinvent them entirely every semester. So like, you know, you tend to teach maybe 5 4 or 5 books in a first year English class. Uh I would do a different four or five books every single time I taught a course because something about revisiting my past work just filled me with such cringe that I couldn't do it. Of course, it's actually pretty hard to get better. As a teacher, if you never revisit the content again, right? If every time you teach a text, it's your first time teaching a text, it's going to feel to your students like it's the first time you taught that text. Like freaking news flash. I'm not good at revisions. I'm just not. And, you know, it doesn't mean I don't do them, <laughs> obviously. But I don't know how to get past That initial sensibility that the revision is going to be some kind of massive personal attack. I won't pretend that I haven't had some really bad experiences of revision. You know, I've definitely had the reviewer who mostly just wishes I had written a different article I have definitely had the peer review where it's very clear that my style of teaching just didn't jive with the person doing the review and there wasn't much I could have done to change it. I once had a peer review that was entirely centered on the book I had selected. It was like, okay, but if we get past the fact that you don't think this is a good book, like what was happening in the classroom? No, no feedback on that. So we've all had those experiences. I don't think they've been uniquely scarring for me. (laughs) I think it's really just probably a manifestation of my anxiety more than anything. I tend to make things out to be bigger than they are, worse than they are, and so I will get in my own way. I had two sets of revisions due this week for two different articles that I have somehow managed to write in the last year, and in both cases, I waited and waited and waited, in one case until the revisions were late, to actually open up and look. And in both cases, you know, they were pretty, they were pretty minor. They were pretty straightforward. There was not actually that much to worry about. I think about this in relation to students a lot, because I have never been the faculty member who wonders why students don't read the comments on their essays. Why don't they read my feedback? Oh, I know why they don't read your feedback, my friend. I know why they didn't read my feedback. They're terrified of you. (laughs) They were terrified of me. I know. And I approach that conversation with a tremendous amount of empathy because I am the bane of editors for my inability to make really simple revisions in a timely way. The way in which we can build up the critique we receive from others into something much more damning, much more troubling, much more problematic than it actually is, I mean, it's just another way we get in our own way, right? Maybe I should just keep this in the first person. It's just another way I get in my own way. It's easy for me to find empathy for students who get in their own way because I do it. And I think that a lot of folks this year have found a certain amount of frustration because it's been hard enough to get through the marking pile week in, week out, right? Like it's been harder than usual to push that boulder up the hill and then to still feel like students aren't engaging with the feedback. That's hard. I get it. That's totally hard. I'm thinking about this too because Someone asked on Twitter today, what a more empathetic, open, caring revision process for academic publishing could look like. And it got me thinking about a project I was involved in, actually with Shannon Smurl here at TRU, but many years ago before I worked here. Um, And it was an open peer review process where we were all in the same room. We were all in the same room at UBC and we were reading each other's work aloud, Like you take someone else's work and you just read it aloud back to them and ask questions as they came up. And it was the best experience I've ever had. I was terrified for like, I don't think I ate for like three days beforehand. I was so nervous. But once I was there, it was just such an organic process to read and think and ask questions. And I wonder if something about the way we traditionally believe feedback needs to be received is actually getting in the way of revision being possible. When I think back to these kind of revolutionary practices that made it much more possible for me to revise my work. I don't know if this applies to the way students take feedback in your classes. Take what's useful to you, leave what isn't. But I do think that we often build up the process of giving and receiving feedback to the point where it's not very useful to us anymore. And I think that can be especially true when feedback comes with a final grade, right? If feedback comes before the final grade or is divorced from the grade to a certain extent, I think it can be a lot easier to read and take. Anyway, random musings, because (laughs) revision has been in my head so much over the last week, and because, as I say, this opening monologue took me Three tries. So lots of revision here. Was it worth it? You tell me. (laughs) It's a big gear change, but I'm joined today by Allison Innes-Weens from the Respiratory Therapy Program. Allison is someone who has put a ton of work into creating the best possible learning experience for her students over the last year with really high stakes, right? Like her respiratory therapists got to know what's going on when they arrive in the workplace in COVID-19. I think you're going to enjoy my chat with Allison. I always enjoy a conversation with her. Okay, I am here today with Allison Innes Weens from the Respiratory Therapy Program. Allison, would you introduce yourself? Let folks know what your title is, what you do on campus. I had been asking people to. Say where they spent time on campus in the before times. Although I'm wondering if we're getting so far removed (laughs) from that time that it doesn't work anymore. But whatever you'd like to say, go. Please go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Sure. Um, So thanks for having me, Brenna. And um, I teach for the respiratory therapy program. I'm uh, relatively new to TRU. It's only my second year of teaching that I just finished, and. Um, I'm a registered respiratory therapist by trade, so prior to working at TRU, I was working clinically. So in the before times, you would have seen me in the third floor of the science building, where our program is. We're kind of tucked away there. And I also supervise the respiratory therapy clinic. So um, our clinic has moved spaces, and um, our program's a bit unique in that we are um, on campus for some things because we have our students going into clinical at the end of this year. So um, we are still partially on campus, partially virtual this past year. I
0: think I've told you this before, but I am very fond of respiratory therapists. <laughs> I have both a dad with COPD and my son was born with meconium aspiration uh, syndrome. So we're, we're big fans <laughs> of respiratory <laughs> yeah. therapy in this household. We're like, yes, we know what great, amazing, unsung work uh, you folks do.
1: Yeah, it's actually, um, it's one of the silver linings of this pandemic in a weird way is that people actually know more of what we do, because previously, it would be people like yourself, where it wasn't until you needed an RT, Mm -hmm. that you knew what an RT did.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And I guess for your students, the sort of, the idea of COVID isn't just... uh... I don't know. It's not just sort of a a social stressor in the world. It's like a very real thing they're going to have to be dealing with not just now, but you know, when you think about long COVID and all these other aspects like, you know, well into the future, right? COVID's going to have an impact on the students you're graduating.
1: Yeah, our students last year. So this time last year, they graduated early to help on the front lines. And oh, wow. um yeah, and so some of them didn't get to finish their their last few weeks of clinical in the traditional way. And then our students this year, you know, it's not just a theoretical thing talking about COVID and the potential of severe COVID. They're going to be working with COVID patients in three weeks. So I think for them, it was really, they knew how important it was to get things solid. And I think there's an additional layer of uh, fear, healthy fear there as -hmm. they're about to go into the hospital, which is always a nerve-wracking time for them but this year especially they haven't been able to do any hospital hours due to the pandemic restrictions and um, only having the people at the bedside who absolutely need to be there so Mm -hmm. a lot of them it will be their first time in a hospital and they're going out our second year and third year students um, are going out in uh, June 1st to start their clinical practicum for the first week of June there.
0: Wow, jeepers! Yeah. I mean, it's like they're they they really are doing it. And I, I guess I'm going to ask you today to reflect a bit on your experience. It's only your second year teaching at TRU, and you sort of ran headlong into trying to prepare what is ultimately a very hands-on program for the online teaching modality, I wonder if, if we can rewind and you can tell me a bit about what your experiences were like last spring and summer as we transitioned and as you sort of wrapped your head around the problem you were trying to solve for your students.
1: Right, yeah, so we're normally a very busy cohort um, program with lots of hands-on experience in the lab, and so in March of last year, abruptly went online with everyone else of course and so our students didn't finish off their their typical preclinical year for those that were going into clinical practicum and I mean that time for me we were all just trying to figure out what program was working and um, are we using Big Blue Button are we using um, Kaltura? and so that was that was a struggle and I feel like over the summer I really really enjoyed the um, the Kelt sessions and the sessions with you and so I felt really, I felt like, Oh yeah, I can do this in September. I felt hopeful and, you know, a little overwhelmed, but then it was even harder than I expected. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just the pandemic fatigue layering in there throughout the year, you know, even with the best intentions and the best um, you know, planned pedagogy, sometimes when you're rolling it out, it just isn't working Mm -hmm. as well in certain ways. And so The year was quite challenging for a new teacher, I would say. You know, the first year, they say, is the hardest. And this was my second first year, I would say. So, (laughs) yeah, it was uh, kind of constantly doubting yourself, constantly dealing with um, imposter syndrome and um, Mm -hmm. just seeing the challenges that my students were going through and feeling for them and also dealing with my own challenges. It was, yeah, it was really, it was tough for sure. But, I mean, at the end of the year... It was so hard during some of those synchronous sessions where you didn't get that feedback, where Mm. it was hard to tell whether students were listening, whether they were sleeping or on their phones. And so, you know, you didn't get that interaction that you normally get in a classroom. But at the end of the year, seeing them go off to clinical my second years and getting a few thank you cards and seeing, Mm -hmm. you know, them being excited to head off, it kind of made it all worth it. But it was definitely definitely a grind during some of it so yeah yeah
0: I mean you you worked really hard last (laughs) summer because we worked together a lot uh trying to figure out what the course should look like and how to move students through the material and I wonder if you feel comfortable um talking about maybe what went right what you liked about the course structure that you built and how it worked with students and maybe what didn't like what you would do differently next time if you had the choice if you feel comfortable saying
1: for sure yeah um learned so much this year from your sessions and just from trial and error as well and um Mm -hmm. so for I taught four different courses this year one of them was a first year course so they were all virtual and normally that course is very much back and forth discussion group presentations and so that was um tricky to try and In a course where normally you're talking about professionalism and ethical issues, things like that, we had to do that all online. So I think that course worked surprisingly well because we did uh, online group presentations and it wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, the same as working with a group in person, but at least they were able to connect with some of their peers. And so we did these group presentations and um, most of the semester, every Monday and Friday, and I think having that routine, a lot of the students felt like that was very helpful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, my my second years, as I mentioned, our second year students or and our third year, if they're in the degree stream, they're preclinical, so we had them on campus for labs, but virtual for lectures. And so um, I used Kaltura for my asynchronous lectures. I use Blue Jeans for my synchronous. I felt like the asynchronous ones trying to keep my lectures short enough was really challenging mm. uh, but I did I think I got better at that I'm not sure my students were a degree or not in my content <laughs> heavy course in winter um, I did and this was based off an idea from you but uh, every week I did Monday memos so a very mm. brief three minute video trying to introduce the week what was um, any deadlines that were occurring and I had a lot of students say that that routine was really helpful you know they'd start making their coffee and their breakfast and listen to my Monday memo and it centered them for the week so that was really really, nice yeah it was really nice to hear those kind of things at the end of this semester Um, you know people coming coming by as they were leaving campus for the last time after their lab exams so it was it was nice to hear stuff like that and I think that went well but Mm. um, the tests the exams were challenging so I think Initially, um, for the first, for the fall semester, I had tried to do a project based, uh, a final project in in lieu of a typical multiple choice exam, which is really common in our program. Those are the types of exams they do in clinical Mm -hmm. and um, to be registered as a respiratory therapist. So I did a project. I think the project worked really well in some ways. Um, It allowed them to be creative. They created podcast episodes, brochures. It was a patient education project. And the only thing I would do differently next time with that is I would still try and have a final quiz or exam of some sort because some of them just stopped watching the material in the last couple of weeks because (laughs) because there wasn't a test to study for. And so, you know, sometimes those the best laid plans, you know, I thought, oh, this would be mm-hmm. such a nice cumulative project. And it was, I still would probably do a similar type of thing where they can be creative, but, um, still have that traditional exam so that they, cause they, they told me themselves too, that, yeah, we just didn't watch the last couple of weeks because we were trying to study for our other exams. And I'm like, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> I get it, but yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. there was a lot there was a lot of challenges over the year, but also, I think a lot of things seemed to work well. And I, I switched gears in the winter semester and it's not really recommended to just do a straight up lecture in a synchronous session, but one of my courses was really content heavy. And mm. so I felt that I had to do most things asynchronously. and I had a couple students say, you know, we really would like, we don't care if you're just lecturing at us, we want the ability to le- hear you and ask, and ask mm-hmm. questions. And, mm-hmm. you know, if it's recorded, it you know, it's not a big deal. So I kind of switched that partway through winter semester. And that really did seem to help both for me and for them. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that sometimes I think the best feedback is the hardest to hear when you're trying so hard and you're trying to follow (laughs) the best recommendations and you still get students say, well, why, you know, can you do more synchronous sessions? So, yeah, yeah, that was that was a little tough. But,
0: you know, it's interesting because we've been gathering feedback from students, you know, on and off over the last year. And there's definitely. There's really two camps of students to try to please, right? there's there's students who really gravitate towards the asynchronous modality, and they they want to be able to meet up for office hours, but they don't want to sit through a long lecture. And there's other students for whom, like, in many ways, that long lecture, that that experience is like that is university to them. like in so yeah. in some really concrete ways, and they have a hard time you know i think one of the one of the most difficult aspects of the last year the thing i would go back and do differently if i could and i mean it would require more resources and more time and things we don't have but i i feel like the piece we missed in the transition to online is explaining to students how learning online looks and feels different um because you know we take students who have spent whatever it is, 12 years plus in one very particular kind of schooling modality. And then in, what, was it a week? (laughs) We turned all their classes into something very different. And I think they weren't ready. And I'm not sure that they were effectively supported through that transition. I don't mean by individual instructors, because I think individual instructors did a great job. But I just think in terms of like understanding you know, from an institutional level, why certain choices were being made and how to make the most of it and what supports were still available. Like, I think we missed that piece on an institutional level. Right. So for me, that's that's the part. Because yeah, like so much of what they were asked to do this year was actually way more active than the ways they have typically learned in the past, right? And that's, yeah. that's a big ask. It requires a certain amount of buy-in. <laughs> and, and I think about first year students in particular who are like, they don't have trust in us as an institution. They don't know us as people, and it's like we're going to give you this entirely really weird thing. Enjoy, <laughs> you know.
1: Well, that is something that I tried to do with my my class was I tried to explain why I was doing things a certain way, and so mm. um, I, I think you guys did a good job, you know, giving us the tools, and then because everyone was doing. Different things. Maybe if mm. it, there was an institutional wide message, maybe then students would be well. Why was why is this prof not following their guidelines or or whatnot? So, yeah, it's it's um it's tough because I think people had different ideas about how to do things. So,
0: yeah, yeah, that's true, and definitely hard to please I mean we know that in a classroom right there's always going to be a student who doesn't respond to the way you move through the course material or who you know doesn't click with you for whatever reason and we're really used to that in the classroom but when it's such a giant shift in modality there's just the risk of more students kind of getting left behind but you work in a cohort model, right? So did you find that your students were able to continue sort of moving ahead together or or did you guys have worries about the cohort with the change to online teaching? Um,
1: it It's definitely usually a program that's very, very busy and demanding, but they grow very close and they form mm. really strong bonds. You know, I still am friends with people that I went to RT school with years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was really hard to, to watch them struggle with this year is we had to say, you can only work with one lab partner. You are working with less people in the lab, shorter times. Mm -hmm. Um, they couldn't make those connections as easily. They couldn't do the social nights and the fundraisers that are typically a part of what really bond students in our program. And Mm -hmm. so that, that social piece, you know, I know that some of them had roommates and small social bubbles and, um, it was just that additional challenge for them. I think as a cohort, they, they impressed us constantly by still Mm. showing up every day for lab, you know, smile behind the mask and, um, ready to learn. And yeah, they, they faced a lot of challenge this, a lot of challenges this year, but I think they did have each other and it was definitely smaller groups than they would normally have, but, you know, leaning on their lab partners and, Um, their roommates I think that was that was helpful for them and um, I think was maybe helpful more so in the second and third year classes because they knew Mm. each other but for our first year classes they were all virtual and so they didn't know they didn't get to know each other as they normally would in the professionalism classes where you kind of meet in groups and start to get to know your classmates and that just didn't happen this year so so it'll be um, interesting to, and I think exciting to see them face to face next year for labs and for them to start to get to know each other. So
0: it is nice, you know, the one sort of thread that runs through all of these kind of faculty, I guess, reflection episodes that I've been doing lately is a real, a real esteem for the students and what they achieved this year. Um, you know, we hear all this language around like learning loss all the time, Um and and fear about students returning, you know, maybe differently prepared than we expect. But I one thing I just keep hearing over and over from faculty is just how hard students worked and how much they did demonstrate their learning in really complicated and, and difficult scenario. And I'm guessing for your students, like, there's a certain amount of urgency in the way the content really directly relates to the world outside, right? Like, yeah. You got to learn this stuff, guys. Because if you <laughs> yeah. don't, we're
1: we're screwed. <laughs> yeah, I think they you. get they get sick of us saying this is really important because it's all really <laughs> important because it's it has to do with people's health and their lives and you know they they are running the ventilators that keep people alive. So I think it is very sobering for them that it's mm. not you know just an exam, but it is going to be applicable to them in clinical. But. I think that for the first year students, it was like just getting back to feeling whether we weren't sure if this year would have affected their preparedness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that will be interesting to see the first years come in because, or the coming into second year because all their labs had to be online. So that was a Mm -hmm. big, big difference from normal, but we're, we're already trying to plan ways of how we can kind of catch them up. And I think even if there is, you know, bit of a slower start, I have full confidence that they have the desire to learn and, you know, they're going to put in the effort and, and trying to get back to being more comfortable with the stuff in person. So,
0: Hmm. yeah. How, uh, how did you find the workload this year? If I can (laughs) ask. ask?
1: Uh, (laughs) 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 Oh, I don't know if you want to know. Um... (laughs) Well, I'm kind of uh, I'm similar to you where I overextended myself. uh, I over overextend myself often. Um, I'm trying to get get better at that, and I think the workload was higher trying to prepare the video lectures because Mm. I think for me at least, you know, knowing it was going to be out there in the world, and I wanted to if there was. Spots where I stumbled and I could edit it out, I would write down a timestamp and then edit it out later. And I think that process took time, but it was just that, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's a recording, I wanted it to be as concise as it could be. And so that took additional time. And I'm still, you know, still getting used to creating my lectures as a relatively new instructor. Mm -hmm. so. Workload was high. Um, I'm working on my master's of health science education at the same time as well. So I have. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) So I think I have that unique um, perspective that I think my students also appreciate because I am still a student and I am also Mm -hmm. learning online. So Mm -hmm. um, they (laughs) I think they appreciate that. And I'm you know constantly learning about how to teach in the health sciences. So it is helping inform my, my teaching practices and that added to my workload as well. So it was uh, a bit unmanageable, but mm-hmm. I definitely picked up some strategies this year. I'm pretty bad for not practicing what I preach. You know, I teach the professionalism course <laughs> and I also teach another course where we talk about sleep hygiene and we talk about Ooh. self-care and we talk about all these things and I'm really bad at that. So I'm trying to get better, you know, having that cutoff point in the evening, having those hours where you do and don't answer emails. Those were tips from you that I have I carried forward throughout the year and really tried to create those boundaries to keep me sane and keep my students informed and sane as well. You know, they knew when I was answering emails and when I wasn't. So I think that's mm-hmm. all they wanted.
0: Yeah, that predictability is so critical. I mean, it's sort of the centerpiece of trauma-informed teaching and it, like, I think we're going to be in a trauma-informed teaching moment for the foreseeable future, right? And so pieces like that, the predictability piece. But I got to say, you know, I just had a meeting with Brian yesterday and I was like, I'm overextended in every way. I don't know what to do. Please help. (laughs) It's so much easier to help other people not
1: overextend themselves than it is to do it yourself. What's that about? I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting better. But I think, it's, I, you know, know, you expect so much of yourself and you yeah. expect to take on everything. And I think a lot of my students are the same way. And so I'm mm-hmm. trying to kind of think, well, if this was my student coming to me, what would I say to me mm. <laughs> about the work yeah. I'm taking on, the hours I'm putting in? You know, you have to have a bit of yourself at the end of the day. So,
0: yeah, it's 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 hugely important and it is a skill. And I think for a lot of us, the pandemic has shown us that we are. Not able to continue to sustain what we've tried to do, right? and it's a hard they they are hard one lessons, but I, I think they're coming. Um, we're getting close to to time on our chat today i one thing I want to circle back to is you know, I know how much time and energy you put into preparing, for example, those videos um, or some of your online assignments, some of the labs, those kinds of pieces. Is there stuff that you've built? over the last year that you're going to try to continue to make use of going forward into the fall?
1: Um, yeah, I did a couple assignments this past winter semester that I thought worked really well and that I would probably adapt a little bit. Um, mm. Communication simulation scenarios that I think we could probably do again and even you know we're face to face and we would be more face to face in the classroom but i think trying to work in more interactive pieces and mm. um yeah i think i'm still debating this i don't really know if i'm going to do this or not but i'm considering maybe doing a 5 to 10 minute video before class and that mm. they would watch to try and get their thoughts going about some of the more difficult topics and so you know, when we get into class, it's more of an open discussion. So we'll oh, I like that. See how that goes. Um still very much in the just trying to dust myself off from the semester and <laughs> the year, but Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not an easy thing to reflect on. I mean, we haven't had any distance for one thing, right? And everybody is either burnt out or on the edge of it. Um, but I really like that idea. I used to always find that it took me like an hour into the discussion as someone who has a hard time. I need time to put my thoughts together. Right. And it, I would often be an hour into class before I was like, okay, I grabbed this enough to like talk about it. <laughs> so for my learning style, like a little video, that's like, here's where we're headed and here's what you might want to be thinking about before you come to class. Would be, That'd be awesome. Would really see I would like that for some meetings. Actually, if you get <laughs> like a five-minute like promo, like here's what we're thinking about. Let's not spend an hour chatting our way into it. That'd be good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I listened to a podcast where they were talking about turtle thinkers and hair thinkers, and I'm oh, a turtle through and through. Yeah. It takes me a while. I would never be very good on Jeopardy. Um, so <laughs> like all the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I'm just mm-hmm. trying to think of you know. I think some of the digital stuff really helped us think about how we're teaching instead of just standing up and giving a lecture, you know, can we actually stir up some thoughts first and make it more interactive? So I think that did force some, some new thinking, which was exciting. But
0: Yeah. You know, we did. We, I think everybody had to think through how um, and, and articulate it too. hopefully articulate it to students, but articulate it to colleagues or to chairs, you know, even just as simple as like, are you, doing it synchronous or asynchronous and why and and having a reason for it I think is um it's a big step forward in practice for a lot of folks you know like it's such a weird sector where the thing we spend the majority of our time doing is the thing in which we have the least training it's really kind (laughs) of strange (laughs) and um so yeah I think you know if there's if there's a positive it's for me, it's that we're having these kinds of conversations and that more people are coming out for them. It used to be like pulling teeth to get anybody out to a learning tech workshop. And now it's real, real easy. So (laughs) yeah, you know, you got a big fan base now. Oh, (laughs) that's true. But I think people definitely (laughs) have opinions about the discipline, which is exciting for me because I think it's, I do think it's infinitely interesting. Um, is there anything else you want to say if I sort of give you an open I was listening to um, Jonathan Van Ness's podcast and he he calls it recess at the end of his podcast. Like, do you want... <laughs> Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to talk about like anything from the last year or as you look forward to fall that's that's on your mind that you want to talk about before we go
1: just a just a softball question to
0: just a little easy
1: <laughs> what's at the deepest recesses of your mind yeah oh man <laughs> uh, i think giving ourselves credit for what we're going mm. through and every day realizing that we're dealing with something that is affecting our lives every single day and it can be easy to get lost in the tasks and be really mm. hard on yourself but I think we're only human and we only have so many hours in the day and we also need some hours for ourselves and our students need Mm -hmm. hours for themselves as well. So I think going into the fall, I really want more balance. And I I say this, you know, and I've said this before, but I do think I'm getting closer to getting there and still giving my all to teaching, but also not giving completely all of me and leaving some time for, for other things and trying to... Have more balance and remember what we've accomplished so far, and not just trying to move on to the next task. Ugh,
0: oh, I love that. I think that's really important. I think you know, if nothing else, if we can take some time in these intervening months to really process um, what we've all done and and how it's changed our practice and what's good about that change, I think is going to be a sort of positive way of you know, folding this year into our narratives of ourselves rather than just kind of pretending it never happened, which yeah. I think is the probably less healthy option.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our students gave us um, wine glasses with print on them that say, I survived teaching in 2020, 2021. <laughs> that's <laughs> truly awesome. really what it feels like is just we <laughs> survived it. We were not thriving, but we made mm. it. <laughs> so...
0: I love that. The fact that we survived it, I think, is a really good place to leave our chat today. Thanks so much for your time, Alison. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you.
1: Yeah, same to you, Verna. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So that is it for episode 29 of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca. I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray, and in both cases, that's Gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.trubox.ca, and of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip. I want to reflect a little bit on Allison's call for balance. It's something that I struggle with. (laughs) It's something that I need to really plan for in my life. I would work or be sort of on with my son 24 hours a day if I had my druthers and then I would burn out and be useless to him and useless to all of you. I have to work at it consciously. I'm wondering if today might be a good time for you to think about how you can achieve a little bit more balance both now and also as you look ahead to a fall that is almost certainly going to be unpredictable and taxing in brand new ways. I hope you'll spend some time thinking about that. And I'll see you back here next week for some more conversation, maybe some more revision, and hopefully a little more balance. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll see you soon. Bye bye.